the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host today, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. We'll be back together with Rob this Thursday, or this next Thursday, rather, July 30th. Los Gatos, Toll House Hotel, Building Retirement Portfolio at LAS. want to sign up for that, you can go to robblack.com. That's robblack.com or chadburton.com. Links at both spots. want to shoot me an email for the show, it's chad at chadburton.com. This is a Certified Financial Planner, Practitioner, Taxes, Insurance, Retirement Planning, Estate Planning, Investing. It's basically any money question, issue, comment, business, the economy. Besides the individual stock by holder. So get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. So today, you know, over after, yesterday we had Apple and Microsoft report. After the close, Apple was trading down in some cases about 7 8% or so. Today, Apple's only down a little less than 5%. Microsoft's down about 3%. Uh, pretty interesting. You can have a year-over-year jump like Apple did, but just come in slightly below expectations and get a little pullback. Stock was also up about eight or nine percent though in the last eight or nine days. So, two companies, uh, such a large part of the S&P, the Nasdaq, and even the Dow. Apple's the fifth highest priced stock in the Dow, so it affects really all of the indexes. If you're an index investor, better than expected earnings results from Boeing, Whirlpool, Goldman Sachs added Exxon Mobil to its conviction buy list. St. Jude Medical buying Thora Tech. So some of the big news today. Uh, coming up at 8.33, we'll talk to uh, Dr. Jeff Rose and Chief Economist for Briefing.com. So we'll talk about some issues such as existing home sales and interest rates and things like that. Earlier in the show, earlier in uh, previous hour, I was talking about PIMCO's release on Tuesday on their asset allocation strategy for the next three to five years. And they're really talking about Lower interest rates for longer, get used to going a little bit more riskier assets, but muted returns in the U.S. Still positive at muted returns because valuations are high. Not too high in terms of bubble, they're just the higher end of the averages. So there's two things that people look at. Risk premium when it comes to stocks, how much do you get rewarded for taking the extra risk and 
stocks versus bonds, but it kind of goes into relative to interest rates and saying stocks look more attractive. Japan looks more attractive. Parts of Europe look more attractive, but be used to a bit more volatility. You know, more and more news of issues along the lines of identity theft. We heard the news report from uh, during the break about, you know, LifeLock settling a settlement, talking about how safe their kind of false advertising uh, lawsuit that they were dealing with. So it, it reminds me of the idea that people, you know, try to lock down their identity and they pay for services. Um, identity Guard, LifeLock, those are kind of the monitoring services out there. And what you get out of that is a notification when you have a problem. Do you get any help with the problem? Not really. You're still doing a lot of that on your own. And a lot of the items that they sell you, a lot of the times you can do some of the, you can do the, those things on your own in terms of monitoring your credit. I mean, you can look at your credit report, annualcreditreport.com, and figure out what's on your report. It's, it doesn't really monitor it for you, but you, you can use apps such as Credit Karma. That's Credit Karma with a K to be notified when you're spending. There's a lot of different apps out there that you can use for even free to help monitor what's going on. You can get alerts when something weird is going on with your expenses that, hey, did somebody steal your credit card? And, you know, keep an eye on it. What you do want is some sort of an identity resolution service, Um, one that I do like that's out there. Good old Dave Ramsey also kind of puts this one out there all the time. I'm not sure what the tie is with it, but um, he talks about Xander Insurance all the time, probably because they're a big advertiser on the show. But that's if you have a problem. The time that it takes to clean that problem up, it's horrible, horrible. And so you get the family plans. And your homeowner's insurance might offer something similar as well, where if you do have a problem, you call them, here's my problem, you guys go fix it. You need an attorney, you go get the attorney on your dime, and fix it because I want you to solve my problem. Having better passwords on your phone. I can't believe how many people have so many passwords and things like that stored in the contacts of their phone and they don't use some sort of a you know, fingerprint option or a more than a four-digit code to get into their phone. If they lose their phone, they've lost everything. And then they have simple passwords and they use the same passwords for sites that can be easily hacked versus using something like a LastPass we have one very, very, very complex password, and then you just have to remember that one, and the, the program will help you out online in terms of making sure which you sign up for a new spot. It, it, it creates a, a almost impossible to hack password for you because, you know, too many people can be hacked. If somebody gets your Facebook page and they can see how many kids you have, the name of your dog where you live. They pretty much have your password for most people out there. So, get, get you know, it's paying bills online is not a major risk. It's having stupid passwords that's a major risk. Get that ID to resolution service. All right, so I get a couple emails. Uh, Elliot writes in, what are the best dividend-paying stocks to buy and hold forever? And I still have a 401k with AT&T. Should I roll it over to Vanguard, Fidelity, or TD Ameritrade? All right. Good couple of questions from Elliot. First of all, there is zero stocks that I can tell you to buy and hold forever. Any stock that I'm going to buy, first of all, the only time I buy individual stocks is if they meet the dividends 
growth criteria that we have. We have a proprietary screening method where we try to find stocks that have a history of increasing their dividends, usually by, on average, 10% a year over at least a 5- to 10-year period. But we look at a lot of other things. For example, free cash flow, accounts receivable, those types of things. And if we see, we will sell a stock, for example, if it cuts a dividend. So a lot of stocks that might be in the energy sector, if they have to cut dividends, they're gone. I don't see that happening with some of the bigger names, the bigger dividend achievers out there. There's nothing that you want to buy and hold forever. Nothing. You can have a portion of your portfolio in index funds that you always hold. There'd be some replacement of those stocks in the index if they are terrible and go away, but oftentimes it's a bit late. So individual stocks, if you have reasons that you're going to buy them, you should have also reasons listed why you will definitely sell them. And don't get tied to those st- don't get tied to those stocks emotionally. If I buy a stock, it's because I'm comfortable, likely holding it for the next three to five years. Three to five years. If something changes, I'm still going to sell it. I'm still going to sell it. Now, the other part of Elliot's question. I still have a 401k with AT&T. Should I roll it over to Vanguard, Fidelity, or TD Ameritrade? Well, <laughs> first of all, you need to figure out if you need financial advice because Vanguard, Fidelity, and TD Ameritrade have great ways to do it yourself. So does Schwab, for example. They have great ways to do it yourself. Do you want to do it yourself? What are you going to do? Are you going to pick index funds, exchange trader funds, or ETFs, no-load managed funds? If you're going to go the no-load mutual fund route, Vanguard's probably a good place to do that. But Fidelity TD Ameritrade, you can buy no-load funds, you can buy a commission for ETFs, all sorts of options. So first of all, you have to figure out, are you going to get financial advice? If so, you only want to do it if they're going to charge an annual fee or a hourly fee to do that. To, to do a 401k rollover, you pick the place where you want to do it, you open up the IRA account, then you call the company and say, I want to do a direct rollover. Can I do this over the phone? Or do you have to send me forms? Either way, they're going to send a check made out to your IRA, and then you have to forward it to that custodian. Coming back after the break, I'm going to tell you when you don't want to do a rollover to an IRA. Get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. We'll be back. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host today, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you want to get your calls on the air and ask a money question, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's talking about 401k rollovers and how they work. It it takes a bit of time and a process. It's not super tough. You have to figure out the toughest part is figuring out where you want to manage your own money or have it managed for you. Now, first of all, if you're going to pick a financial planner, and obviously I'm biased at this because I run New Focus Financial Group, which is a financial planning firm, and we do that for people for a living, and we do we charge fees to do financial planning. We don't charge we don't go commission based products. And uh, so you've you got to pick somebody that's going to act as a fiduciary either way, whether it's going to charge you a flat fee, an hourly fee, or assets under management fee. 
It has to be clear in terms of what you're paying for and what you're being compared to. There's a lot of advisors out there that have abused 401k rollovers. They'll take somebody out of a good 401k plan with great fund choices, very low costs, and put them in garbage like loaded variable annuities. So there's actually regulations in the financial industry in terms of how many rollovers are allowed per year and whether or not that advisor should be doing a 401k rollover at all. Now, the process is once you figure out a comfortable place for you to manage your own money or for your money to be managed for you, IRA account is open. You get an account number. Then you call the 401k company. And you say, I want to do a direct rollover of my 401k. A lot of big ones, especially the Fidelities of the world and things like that, they process the rollover over the phone. And you'll receive a check in the mail. You don't need to endorse it or anything like that because the check's already made out to your IRA if you did it properly. Then you forward it on to where you open the IRA. That's the process for a 401k rollover. Now, when you should not, how about, how about when you should not do a 401k rollover? Sometimes you can do a 401k to 401k transfer if you're, you know, your new employer has a great 401k pl- program and you're trying to keep everything in one place and they've got good fund choices and things like that. Roll it into your existing 401k. Other times where you need to keep it in a 401k, are you about to be sued or go into bankruptcy? Keep it in a 401k. You get a little extra protection there. What about when you leave a company and you have employer stock inside that company? Employer stock inside that company. Well, there is a very cool tax benefit called NUA, Net Unrealized Appreciation. So if you've got a bunch of employer match stock inside your 401k of that employer, and I've seen this done in the past, I think the email mentioned a company where we've done this before, where what happens when you roll the money over is you can receive that employer stock. Let's say the cost basis when you receive that is very low, very, very low. You can take that stock and put it into a normal brokerage account and roll over the rest in an IRA. Now, there is a taxable portion of that. You will be taxed on the cost basis of that stock, but all of the future gains will be taxed as capital gains, which can be much lower than the ordinary income of what comes out of the IRA. So you have to realize that there's net unrealized appreciation, NUA possibilities. Another time where you don't want to likely roll the money out of a 401k at retirement, if you are leaving your employer after the age of 55, you've saved enough money to be able to retire early. An IRA has income restrictions under age 59 and a half where you can face a 10% penalty for pulling it early. 401ks, if you separate from, from the company after the age of 55, most of them allow you to pull money out 55 or older without facing a penalty. And, a, and another time, too, that I can think of is if you're extremely conservative and you're trying to keep everything safe. A lot of 401k plans have stable value funds, which are often uh, paying a higher rate of return than, say, an FDIC-insured money market or CD. So there's a couple of times where it's not just a no-brainer to roll the 401k over. And a lot of, I tell you what, a person that works on commission in this industry, they'll never tell you that. They're looking for that rollover. They're looking to put you into that, here's an annuity that guarantees a 7% rate of return, where, no, that's that's crap. It has 3.5% internal fees, and it only guarantees that, that they're going to pay you an income for life. And the only time that the insurance company is on the hook is if you live past the age of 90, and essentially all they're guaranteeing is a 4% rate of return. It's a payout for life option versus a principal guarantee. 
They don't even understand their same their own products. The same people will tell you to you know pull money out of your house or refinance and put it into a life insurance po- policy called an index life insurance policy. Say so we can participate in the upside of the market with no downside risk. That'd be sweet if you could actually do that without all the extra insurance fees and everything else that you face. But a lot of times they don't even understand their own product. They don't understand that once you get in, the insurance company often decreases the cap rates and moves all these things around and your returns end up being disappointed. Instead of having income at retirement, you'll get a notice in the mail that says, hey, you know, we didn't, the returns inside this life insurance policy weren't quite as good as what we projected, so we're going to need to ask you to go ahead and pay more premiums. Otherwise, this thing will lapse and become worthless. People in the 90s were getting letters like that left and right on insurance policies that they invested in when interest rates were high in the 80s. So I spent a lot of my career having to learn how to deal with those problems because that was a financial product that was very popular in the 80s and started to blow up in the 90s. So you have to be careful. If you want to get your calls in the air, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. A couple other emails today, too. This is from Yuji. He said, do you believe in technical analysis? Do you believe in technical analysis? Uh, yes, I do, but not as a primary decision-making process. It's as a second. Once I've already made a decision, and those decisions could be on an individual ETF or stock or rebalancing. Is it time to rebalance? Is it time to peel off my growth in the U.S. markets and add or overweight into international markets? If fundamentally we know we want to do this, fundamentally this stock looks great, fundamentally uh, you know, the dollar stopped rising. I want to overweight in international investments because ECB is doing quantitative easing. That quantitative easing is actually working now and earnings are starting to accelerate. I will look at the technicals and say, you know what? The chart's not following my decision-making process yet. It's still going down, so I'll wait for an uptrend to do that. The other area where I'll, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll take a look at this is when things, especially when things are starting to look expensive, What's the advanced decline line doing? What's the NYSE advanced decline line doing? When you start to see the market making new highs, but very few stocks are actually advancing during that period of time, you know you can be at the end of a this, of a bull market cycle. If you look at the advanced decline line prior to the recent big corrections that we've had, it was kind of a tall tale. So that's something that we do take a look at, especially in our rebalancing process. In terms of technical analysis to go 100% cash, if you're a day trader and you're trying to make that as a living, that's fine. But have I met? I haven't really met day traders that are consistently done it for 20, 30, 40 years and you know been very successful. Going to all cash, the chart's higher in the future. You're missing out on all those dividends. So going all in or all out, there's way more people that I've met that have made drastic retirement-ending mistakes doing that than the opposite. Want to get your calls in the air? It's 800 1220 1220 Coming up, we got Dr. Jeff Rosen from Briefing.com, Chief Economist. We'll be back. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. Trying to say it's 
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host today, Chad Burns, Certified Financial Planner. Don't forget, Rob Black and I will be together July 30th, Los Gatos, Tulsa, Tio. Building a retirement portfolio at last will be the topic. Sign up now before it fills up at robblack.com or chadburton.com. Joining me right now is Dr. Jeffrey Rosen from briefing.com, chief economist at briefing.com. Dr. Rosen, how are you? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, good, good. In terms of economic news out, we've got existing home sales. Why don't we start by uh, talking about that? Well, the headline was really nice. I mean, it was the most new home sale, or sorry, existing home sales in, I want to say, since 2007 or 2008. Uh, real good number. You know, it's something that was very impressive, something that was uh, better than we anticipated. The question is, you know, are these sales legitimate? Meaning, are is is this a move up in demand, or is this a you know one-time event? And I'm more cautious than, than maybe some others. And I think the uh, the Realtors Association, which is normally a very you know gung-ho uh, Homer-type reports, you know, basically saying that everything's great in the existing home sales department, even as the market's collapsing around themselves. But you know, they acknowledge that. The idea that raising more, that rising mortgage rates in the near future may be pulling in some buyers, uh, and if that's the case, then sales that we would have expected to occur maybe in September or October are coming in a little early, which means that this run-up in good sales numbers, these you know eight-year uh, you know impressive levels uh, or historic highs, are just a temporary blip, and you can get a big pullback in the few months is the buyers that would have come in you know later in the year are just not there i think you're starting to get a lot of people that, that are kind of like oh i got to get in now before the prices go up even farther um even more so than the interest rate fear the interest rate increases i mean we got you know companies like pimco writing you know, kind of going for the uh, lower for longer when it comes to interest rates but I'm hearing with, you know, we have an office in Vancouver, Washington, right across the bridge, right across the river from Portland, Oregon, and the bidding wars that are going on there, even in the Northwest versus the Bay Area, which has kind of been that way for a while, it seems to be the panic buyer. Like, I, I think it, I, I kind of agree, be cautious, seems to be pulling in people that you know, were going to buy a little bit later, they got to get in now. You know, and that remark would actually be what the Fed uh, believes, too. You know, I, if you look at uh, some new research by the New York Fed, they were looking at uh, interest rate sensitivities. They were specifically wanting to see how you know, the raising of interest rates, mortgage rates in this respect, is going to change home buying demand. And they found that you know, really there's not much shift in demand due to interest rates. And the real big factor is the shift in um, – the down payment. So uh, the existing home sales report that came out today stated that uh, the median home price rose 6.5% and is now higher than they were during the peak of the housing bubble in July 2006. So if affordability conditions are measured by, you know, the amount of money that you have to put on as a down payment, and that's what the, the New York Fed is implying in their research, then these recent run-ups in prices you know, are definitely going to constrain buying activity. So if people believe that prices are going to continue going up, which is what happened during the housing bubble, and they want to own a home, 
you know, it's not a matter of, you know, rates going up from, you know, I think the the average rate was 3.95 or 3.98% in June to let's say 4.5% or 5% in the coming months. Uh, you know, it's the fact that they're going to need to pay 20% down on that house and they just don't have the savings to meet that. So no matter what the interest rate is, they can't buy the house anyways because they don't have the ability to get a loan. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the rise in prices you know, will have that effect. And we are coming off that period where people that when they did have to maybe walk away from a home, short sale a home, uh, you know, three or four years ago where they're able to qualify now. Um, so we're kind of going through that rotation of people that had to step back, rent for a while. They still had income. They just didn't have enough income to pay that mortgage. We are seeing zero to 5% type down payment loans, but the credit required to get in there or the income, it's it's a little bit more real now versus where it was bubbleistic when you could fog a mirror and buy a house. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, I don't know how much, I mean, it takes a little bit longer for, if people had declared bankruptcy when they left their loans, when they left their home, sorry, uh, they're, they're still not going to have the ability to get loans based on their credit conditions. But you know, for others, I mean, realistically, if you were expecting to buy a house at $200,000 and you had saved over the last couple of years, you know, 20% and you saved 40000 and all of a sudden prices rose to $240,000 and now you need an extra, you know, eight grand to pay for it, you're not going to be able to do it. So uh, yep. it's one of those things where, you know, if you believe that prices are going to keep going up. And that that's a big if. I, I don't know if I would believe that prices are going to continue rising at the pace that they've been doing over the last, you know, two years. Uh, but that's going to make it difficult to buy a home, you know, especially the way credit is today. You know, <clears throat> you're not going to be able to buy by having a breath, by having a heartbeat like you did in 2006. And I don't think you'll ever see that again. Right. And, I mean, in terms of housing, it goes along with the wage inflation in the long term in a certain area, right? I mean, it, because people have to have wages to be able to afford the mortgage and the down payment. It's not the housing price. It's, like you said, the mortgage and the down payment. So prices are going to get tied again to wage inflation. Don't you agree? Well, yeah, except that, you know, if you look at the Hamptons, for example, and this is a very, you know, extreme situation, but they literally bust in all the workers because the people that live there can't afford to, you know, or the people that, that work there that, that tend the homes can't afford to live there. So what you end up having is, is bigger sprawl. So in areas like uh, like the Bay Area where you're constrained on sprawl by a coast you know, situation, it, it's a little bit different. But if you're like in Texas, uh, you can move, you know, 100 miles away from where you're working and just drive in. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I and mean, prices don't necessarily have to reflect income levels where they're at. They just have to reflect the general sense in terms of, you know, scarcity of land. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about two things. Lower for longer, Wells Fargo, PIMCO, they were talking about that. Uh, central banks around the world keeping rates low. You know, we looked at what quantitative easing did in terms of capital assets here in the U.S., and it bolstered it up quite a bit. QE1, 2, 3, Operation Twist. The ECB is trying to get started with their quantitative easing. Is there assets to actually buy there? Do they have inventory? Will they be able to 
make quantitative easing in the eurozone work like it did here in the U.S. Well, I mean, it depends on you know if Europe is going to be able to you know do some kind of you know fiscal move where they have to you know add more you know so that there is something for the banks to buy. Uh, if there's no you know government debt, you know what's the ECB going to do? But you know, I don't think that's really a concern, given you know the size of the market. Even if the ECB moves, I, I don't see there'll be liquidity constraints like that. All right, are, are you feeling we're going to see a rate hike here in the U.S. from the Federal Reserve at all this year? And if so, can the economy handle it? Well, you know, this is the way it is. I, I look at the economic numbers, the unemployment numbers, and the inflation numbers, and in my eyes, it says rates shouldn't be hiked until 2016. But you listen to what the Fed's doing, and you can almost be guaranteed that a rate hike is coming sooner than later. You know, and what I have a feeling is, and this is kind of what you were alluding to with the Wells Fargo reports, you know, the Fed's going to raise rates. So let's say they may, they move in September, and I think that's a a good uh, plausible estimate. And most economists I've talked to believe September is a good move. So if they move in September, I think they're going to wait on another rate hike until 2016. You know, it's kind of be the, this really, you know, move, wait, 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 move, wait, 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 compared to what we normally see during a tightening cycle, which is, you know, move 25 basis points basically at every meeting. Uh, I think that it, they're going to be very patient, and I think that's going to keep long-term rates, since long-term rates are a average of short-term rates over the, the you know, 10-year, 5-year period, or expected uh, rates over those that time period. So, you know, if you move rates and then hold and wait, and the market believes that, you're not going to have as much move on the long end of the curve. So you'll flatten everything out, near-term rates will go up, but it won't have as much of an effect on long-term investments like mortgages, for example, which will keep economic growth trends relatively stable during a rate hike uh, trend. Now, I think we've had, I mean, so we're, we'll flatten the curve a little bit in terms of the yield curve long, you know, the, 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 the issue is it's always an inverted yield curve. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host today, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. I will be with Rob Black next Thursday, July 30th, Los Gatos Toll House Hotel. Building a retirement portfolio that lasts. Building a retirement portfolio that lasts. Expectations have to change in terms of returns in retirement right now because of this whole idea interest rates will be lower for longer. If we look way back to retirement planning back in the years when rules of thumb, such as take your age minus 100, and that's how much should be in stocks versus bonds. So if you're 100 and you're 60 years old, you put 40 in stocks and 60 in bonds, right? So... You just first of all, you invest that much in fixed income right now, your returns are going to be 
likely lower for longer. I suppose interest rates are going to be lower for longer. CDs aren't paying a lot. And expectations have to change. It means doing detailed cash flow projections, maximizing Social Security, looking at all the options for whether keeping a mortgage or paying off a mortgage makes sense at retirement. Also knowing the risks that are out there, things like health insurance costs, your spending habits, the order of spending. In other words, if you spend too much money in the first 10 years, you'll destroy your retirement You know, 30 years from now when you live longer and longer because you have less money compounding. At that point in time, you'll be spending more because of inflation. So before you go into retirement, you really need to say, what about new cars every so often? What about helping your kids if they're back at home? What about how often you have to repair your home or remodel your home? Do you need to move out of the Bay Area, for example? The other thing is the order of returns. This makes a little bit of, this is really kind of hard to comprehend. I show an example at the events of this. Um, It's better if returns, if if you look at a period of retirement of 30 plus years, 65 to 95, you need to really make sure you have enough money to last till age 100. But it is better to have, if you're going to go through rolling periods of good returns and bad returns in the market, or it's not really bad returns, it's good returns and mediocre returns in the market. It's better to have those mediocre returns, if you are prepared for retirement, to come in the first five to ten years. Because if you're retiring in the Bay Area, and let's say you need $100,000 a year from your portfolio to supplement your income, in 20 years you're going to need $200,000 to supplement your income, That's going to be your draw because inflation will come into play. And every three to five years, you're going to be, I need to draw more because inflation is starting. You know, this money isn't going as far. So I showed an example of of somebody that retired in 1970. Now, the 70s in the market were, were not good. High inflation, right? In this scenario, back then, you know, people would invest 40% stock, 60% bonds because rates were higher. If you had $500,000, in retirement in 1970 and you were taking 5% a year or 25 grand and you increase that annually to keep up with inflation back then by at least 4% a year so you're 25,000 every year you were taking 4% more than the previous year using actual returns from 1970 to 2008 the ending balance of that portfolio was over four million dollars because the mediocre returns came in the beginning and then you went from the you know basically early 80s all the way up to 2007 was a huge bull market. Now, you did have the tech bubble. You did have 1987 in there, but it was really good returns later in life, the 20-year bull market, essentially. If you take that same scenario where the good years happen first, you just flip the returns, a mirror image of those returns, that same $500,000 in the 40% equity, 60% bonds, they would have run out of money. In 32 years. So having $4 million versus running out of money in 32 years, that is just the order of returns that happens. Now, having a static portfolio in retirement is stupid. It is extremely smart to dollar cost average into your portfolio and your 401ks, each and every paycheck, you're buying more, you're buying more. By the way, you're getting dividends all the time on most of your mutual funds inside your 401k, and those dividends are also being reinvested. So market corrections are great. You just have the opportunity to buy companies when they're on sale. But dollar cost averaging out of a portfolio in retirement can be a nightmare 
because if you're always selling, 30% of the time the market's down, so that means 30% of the time when you are taking a withdrawal, you're selling when the market is down, which means when the market recovers, you have less shares in your portfolio to recover, so you won't recover. So making sure your portfolio is set up the right way, you have to have a very detailed cash flow plan as you go into retirement. And especially if you're going to do things like remodel home, buy an RV, second home, help kids, that all has to be projected into the plan because the money that you're going to spend in the next three years, the withdrawals that you're going to make should not be in stocks or bonds. If interest rates go up, bonds will fall. The market's fairly to fully valued in the U.S., undervalued overseas, but everything's tied together. I mean, the correlation is closer and closer to one all the time. So you can't afford to have money that you're going to spend or pull from your portfolio in the next three years in the stock market. You have to have three years worth of portfolio draws in cash five years prior to retirement. And then take your dividends and interest, turn on the tap, and every quarter you look at your portfolio and say, oh, is my portfolio up? Good. Is my cash requirement down? Well, you peel off enough of your growth to replenish that cash portion of your portfolio. It's, it, you actually monitor it a bit more in retirement. It's not difficult. You just have to coordinate your safe money versus your portfolio, making sure you're constantly feeding it. Make sure you constantly feed it. We'll do a lot of this in specific examples. Thursday, July 30th, Rob Black and I will be at Toel's Hotel in Los Gatos, 6.30 p.m. You can sign up at chadburton.com or robblack.com. Sign up before it fills up. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. Again, you can find me at chadburton.com. Links to iTunes, Facebook, Twitter. It's all there. Have a great day. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.